Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to Streets Ahead, a podcast dedicated to active travel, livable streets and people-focused urban design. I'm Laura Laker. I'm Adam Tranter. And I'm Ned Bolting. And welcome to this episode in which we ask, is the UK's golden age of cycling in jeopardy? So this is the news that Active Travel England could take over a year to set up and Grant Chaps suggesting in the Telegraph that councils are still not doing enough for active travel and ripping stuff out, which was interpreted rather differently in a non-paywalled Telegraph piece later. But um, in the meantime, we have Ned in a castle in Kent. That's true. It's undeniably (laughs) true, Laura. I suppose... I suppose I owe you a, a, an explanation. Um, I, I My day job is commentating on bike races, as I've talked about in the past, and I'm commentating for ITV on the Tour de France at the moment, which is underway in France. And for obvious reasons, um, we can't go to France, any of us, commentators, presenters and production team. So we've all formed a big bio bubble. We're using some studios uh, down in Kent, about five miles from where we are, this secret 12th century moated castle. And uh, that's where we're staying. We're staying inside inside the moat of an ancient 12th century, very beautiful castle. And um, we are, and it's really strange because during the day, like today, it's actually open to the public and people are getting guided tours <laughs> and we get to come and go and sort of lift the red ropes and kind of access our rooms, which are, on the, which are on the first floor. So it's very surreal, really surreal life. The weirdest thing is I'm getting quite used to it. <laughs> so it no longer surprises me when I come home cross, you know, our, and, we, and because it's a television production team and we're broadcasting the Tour de France, a lot of us uh, ride to work. It's a perfectly commutable distance of five miles there and, you know, five miles there, five miles back. It's actually really nice distance. Um, and uh, and so, you know, there's some ex-cyclists amongst us, Peter Kenyuk, David Miller and Chris Boardman, um, who needs no introduction and a bunch of other production team. And we all ride to work every morning. Um, and here's the weird thing, right? Uh, the grounds of the castle are extensive and very beautiful and they're crisscrossed by f- public footpaths. So it's completely open to the public, although, you know, they, you have to stay to the, the actual footpath. It never actually closes. And there are also lots of um, small tarmac roads because there are lots of buildings um, that get used all day and every day here in uh, in the castle grounds, golf clubs, restaurants, etc. So there are cars coming and going, delivering people and, you know, all the visitors as well park up. So there's quite a lot of motor traffic one way and another that passes through. But if you ride a bike through the grounds, all of a sudden it becomes a 
big problem for the people who are in, in charge of the smooth order of, you know, running the ground. So the volunteers with walkie talkies and, and accreditation and special suits don't understand what we're doing every morning when we ride out of <laughs> our castle grounds across a drawbridge, literally crossing the moat <laughs> and um, out, of, out of the grounds. And not, not a day goes by when one of us doesn't get stopped and told to dismount our bikes on these roads because you can't cycle in the grounds. And we question them every day. Anyway, it's, it's really weird, but here to give you a flavour of what I mean, I, I recorded this on my way to work the other day. Beautiful sunny morning, and uh, I'm just on my bike riding very slowly uh, through the grounds of a uh, heritage castle whose identity I should probably uh, withhold uh, in Kent. <laughs> and uh, bizarrely, even though I'm commentating on the Tour de France, this is my accommodation for three weeks because of obvious Covid reasons, etc. And um, the studios that we're using are around about five miles down the road and uh, the grounds in this castle are really extensive and um, they are staffed and manned by lots of volunteers, lovely folk who uh, give up their time to kind of direct the public around and things like this but aren't necessarily used to, it's quite unusual for the castle to have guests for three weeks Occasionally, they host weddings and things like that. Wedding parties come over the weekend. We're here for three weeks because we're all bicycling people. Um, most of us have got bikes, and uh, most of us ride to work and back again. So we're kind of commuting, which is something that the castle has never seen before. And uh, the difficulty is that uh, even though I'm on a big tarmac road and you know, vehicles come and go. And, People work, you know, people drive right up to the castle and park there. People work there and other, for other reasons. People use the restaurants and the cafes. Um, so cars come through this, these grounds. It's also a footpath, so there's lots of pedestrians walking around and things. And the thing that, really interestingly, is not really catered for or understood is the notion of people riding bikes through the grounds. So whenever I come towards a gate or see one of these security personnel or stewards, um, complete confusion seems to reign, and um, everybody else on the team, including Chris Boardman and David Miller, Peter Kendrick, have had the same experience. Um, we get stopped, basically, and told we can't ride our bikes through here. Um, and when we point out that we're living in the castle, we kind of <laughs> look at us like we're mad, and we're going to work, they look at us like we're even more mad. And it's just really interesting when you say, but cars drive along here. Why can't I ride my bike? And they go, because there's no cycling. And they, but what they can't so, what they can't quite get their heads around, I don't think, is the fact that we're just using it. This isn't a leisure activity. This is just how we get to work. So, uh, yeah, it's been really odd to make that discovery. I don't really blame them. It's just, uh, I just think it says a lot about the misunderstandings. Anyway, it hasn't happened on this commute so far, so. And I'm nearly out of the ground without incident. Maybe they're just getting used to us. I love that. I, um, I just, I've just got uh, visions of Chris Borman being stopped and asked to dismount and walk across a drawbridge or something like that. It's, uh, it's quite, quite, quite <laughs> bizarre. It's, um, it's literally I, the case. I think, um, I think this, this, um, I was listening to that and thinking, how can I segue this back? And, and, and actually, um, quite, quite easily, because I think this is actually one of the problems that, um, the government is facing in this, in this cycling revolution, because outside of major cities, you know, where you are in rural Kent, I think there's, there's very little understanding of, uh, what needs to be done to achieve, uh, an active travel revolution. And cycling is just sort of lumped together. I think, you know, we've seen that happen generally in the media narrative or throughout, you know, cycling's history of kind of recreational cycling being confused with transport cycling and inverted commas and lycra louts being confused with, you know, 
people who are just going on a family cycle or wanting to get to, uh, to, to, to work. And none of that stuff is obviously fair or, um, true. And I think that's probably why we saw, um, Grant Shapps come out in the piece in the Telegraph in favor of motoring, because, um, you know, I do believe that he's trying to salvage the, the plans and the narrative for, um, for active travel and possibly in, uh, places like your uh, 12th century castle, Ned, that in the view of the general public, either we drive everywhere, you know, or we cycle everywhere. And there's very little understanding that, you know, people might do a mixture of both or they'll use the right tool for the, um, for the job. Um, or that you might cycle to ter- get somewhere. Mm. Yeah. Or you might cycle for transport, you it's know, you, they probably out. think you're some sort of guest what? who's, who's trying to go for a bike ride around the grounds and has misunderstood what the, uh, what the tourist attraction is. That's, that's exactly, that's exactly the misunderstanding. I think there's, um, but you know, uh, okay. It's it's a bit of an anomaly, isn't it? Not everyone lives in a 12th century castle, but I think everyone should, (laughs) I think, I think, I think think everyone should, um, uh, but, but I I think actually, I think you've really understood the the point, Adam, it's in a microcosm, it's the same misunderstanding that's kind of peppered throughout the land, isn't it? And it's a, it's quite, it's actually quite chastening to kind of meet, meet it head on because I'm, you know, literally getting my, get, literally I've, I've left my London bubble and I've, I'm kind of experiencing what, what it's like in, in rural areas where cycling doesn't really, hasn't really got a place really beyond, beyond, yes. beyond a leisure activity. So, um, yeah, it's very interesting and a little bit, a, a little okay, dispiriting. Sure. Yeah. I occasionally get um, on my, my local community's Facebook group. You you occasionally get cyclists should stick to a velodrome, uh, and I kind of <laughs> think that, that that really that really sort of defines what the what the problem um, you know might be in the understanding of of what um, cycling this country is or what cycling this country um, could be, uh, mm-hmm. which is, which is, you know, rather, rather depressing, but, um, yeah, I think that, you know, this is all really from, um, uh, kind of escalated really, uh, I think over the last couple of weeks, we're seeing uh, bike lash, which we've talked about on this podcast before. Um, but Laura, just tell us, tell us through for, for people who, um, haven't read, uh, the pieces on the Telegraph. What what's um, what's being said by Grant Shapps and then you know the uh, the editorial team in the Telegraph um, about the the cycling revolution. Well, yeah, it's a bit of a funny one because um, Grant Shapps is uh, has written this comment piece which is behind a paywall in the Telegraph, um, but he's. He's kind of saying some some good stuff, but he's also, um, you know, in terms of supporting active travel, but he's clearly, as you say, trying to sort of placate people who maybe don't understand why you'd want to cycle for everyday trips and maybe feel like their, their sort of right to drive is being impinged on perhaps by these measures. Um, and he, he kind of starts off by saying, you know, our roads aren't the problem it's the vehicles we're driving on them, which I would agree, I think, you know, we'd agree with. Um, but then sort of goes on to say that um, perhaps electric vehicles are among the solution, which obviously will help the pollution, uh, the tailpipe problem, but not the congestion problem, because it's just, it's just another car. So um, although he's supportive of cycling and walking, He's also, uh, you know, he's a bit tough on councils who haven't done particularly good stuff. And I was out in uh, Somerset and Wiltshire at the weekend and I saw some um, pavement expansions that were literally just kind of barriers and gutters and they weren't expanding the pavement space at all. They were just basically stopping people from crossing the road. It was a little bit odd. Um, and, you know, I, I would agree that people need to, that councils need to tackle that stuff. And maybe if they haven't historically thought of cycling and walking, they don't really know what, you know, what good looks like. But at the same time, he's sort of defending the 27 billion uh, roads fund, which he says that he fought for. And, and this is a fund that um, is uh, facing a legal challenge at the moment for potentially uh, being in direct opposition to the government's targets for net zero. So there's... Although, you know, although he's saying some good stuff and he's saying that, you know, it's not the roads that are a problem in the same way, he's in the same article, he's saying that actually the roads are a problem and bottlenecks and congestions and narrowing roads isn't good for drivers. And and it's sending out a little bit of a confused message. And then the piece that the Telegraph wrote was sort of 
more heavy on the pro car stuff and and on the removing money from councils who don't um who don't do decent cycling and walking stuff or against local people and and there's a little bit of a more of a focus on um consultation um and not upsetting local people which you can understand but at the same time is potentially um sort of gives people a way out from not doing this if if a few people say they don't want it then there's a risk that it doesn't happen so yeah, it's, a, it's a, all a bit confusing, really. And the one that the, everyone saw was the non-paywalled piece, which was the more pro-car piece. So, um, yeah, and you can you can ask how, you know, if, if it's a good idea for government ministers to be putting their thoughts out into the world behind a paywalled um, newspaper's uh, website. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a peculiar strategy. And I think looking at it from a um, from a media perspective, I've I've noticed a trend, and I think others have as well, um, in the Telegraph, and it, it happens pretty much every weekend. Uh, in that, um, a reporter is is kind of sent to do a uh, to do a piece um, that that clearly echoes, um, I think, the view of um, the Telegraph's leadership at the moment, which is causing problems for um, uh, for the Conservative um, Party leadership. Uh, it really started back in July, which was campaigners prepare to sue in revolt against narrowing roads for cycling revolution, which was related to the uh, alliance of British drivers and a kind of uh, a legal challenge, which hasn't really amounted um, to anything. And, and then Grant Shapps intervenes after his green traffic policy creates ghost town in his own constituency. And um, there's green roads revolution adding to pollution and risk of childhood asthma. Oh Paramedics gosh. fear the green trans- transport revolution could delay emergency responses. Um, green roads slow down access for emergency service vehicles. London Fire Brigade warns. Um, anger over green road closures threatens to boil over with a return to traffic, uh, school traffic. So every weekend there's been something since uh, since July. And um, I think this is, you know, because the Telegraph are, whatever your politics, I think it's fair to say that the, the, the Telegraph are generally uh, leaning and supportive towards the, the Conservative Party. Um, but every weekend there's been almost a public attack on um, on, on on this policy and Grant Shapps' uh, policy personally, where he's kind of been called out by name as uh, as as being um, being the issue, so I see the piece that Grant Shapps wrote as um, trying within you know the parameters of what he has to work with, trying to uh, you know alleviate um, some of the hostilities from um, the, the the Telegraph writers and and let's just call it the motor lobby. But I think I'm simplifying it um, a bit much there. I think it's people who. Are quite happy with the status quo, or don't see you know the status quo being being an issue for whatever reason through climate or congestion. That's just not you know not a thing um, for them. Um, but it was clear that that piece was kind of really trying to pander to different audiences and ended up being a bit of a, uh, a, a well a bit confusing really um, uh, in terms of you know talking out in favour of positive like low traffic neighbourhoods changes and the impact that they can make and the fact that they quoted the Ray Pleasy quoted the, the the stats that we put out there from Bikers Best about um, people being in a uh, you know a vocal minority going against these schemes but then also talked about cycle lanes causing congestion and things like that and sort of you know electric cars and the road building so it's it's really not, probably not pleased anybody uh, that 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 article not that that's his job to please people but um, it's certainly a little bit bit confused but I mean in a, in a way Adam, isn't it his job to please people? Because isn't the smart way of doing this to say things that are appeasing or uh, emollient to to all the lobbies and specifically keep the motoring lobby, give them the impression (laughs) that they are being listened to and their concerns are being prioritised above everyone, but actually behind the scenes do something slightly more subtle. And I mean, isn't that, isn't that politics? Isn't like to affect change, you know, there is a, to, to affect change, sometimes you need to be quite clever and smart with that. And perhaps that is, uh, that's precisely what he's trying to do to, to say things that people can, but then I suppose it, yeah, there's, there's kind of two ways. There's, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because if, if you say things that, uh, there's some, there's something in there for everyone, there's also something in there that's not for everyone. So Mm. you can, everyone can take a negative, which seems to be, it seems to be what, 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 what has come out of this, that everyone seems to be taking a negative away rather than feeling that their concerns are being listened to. 
Yeah, you kind of have to take take a stand, don't you, and and just say why you're doing it, and 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 kind of go with it, because that's as an elected official, you're you're there to make decisions. I would say. Mm. Mm, I don't know. I'm think, yeah, <laughs> I can I'm, see what I'm you're saying. That, um, Maybe I'm too bullish. <laughs> just go yeah. in there, just do it. What's the problem? <laughs> Well, I think we've been, um, Ned, you mentioned um, to me before that, um, you know, you need to be, we need to be honest with people. You know, we need to be honest that low traffic neighborhoods will um, make car journeys longer um, and make driving less convenient. Um, and I, I worry that still the narrative in this country, as I said just a minute ago, actually, that is quite sort of binary in that we have to drive everywhere or we or we're forcing people to cycle everywhere. And that's just, you know, as we know, that's totally not the case. What we need to, to happen is to stop people from, you know, driving very short journeys or driving unnecessary journeys potentially to make a big impact in cities before we, you know, before you potentially tackle um, tackle other things. And um, I don't think the the nuance is there really in those pieces that, um, you know, that, that, that actually we need to use our cars less, um, not that driving's bad because... Um, whatever you say, like in a, in a idealistic world, I would say driving is bad and I would stop driving, but guess what? I still drive for places that I can't get to by bike or that don't feel safe by bike. So I think we have to live in a real world, but, um, I think that's possibly giving off a, a, a false impression, um, that car will still be king. Um, and, and I don't think you can achieve both those things. I don't think you can drive everywhere you want, whenever you want, and enable cycling and walking. I don't think those things can can go to together, which is um, which is the problem. Laura, I mean, do, do you have you interviewed Grant Shapps? What do you know about him? Is he amenable to requests? Does he talk to, you know, would he would he would he come on the podcast? <laughs> can we, what kind of guy is um, he? I've... Well, I've spoken to Chris Heaton Harris. I haven't spoken to Grant Shapps, but um, yeah, I've spoken to Chris Heaton Harris after um, all of these cycling announcements, and he just kind of echoed what the announcements um, had contained. Um, I haven't, yeah, I haven't spoken to Grant Shapps. I mean, maybe he would come on. Maybe we should, maybe we should ask him. Um, well, I know that Chris Heaton Harris has been amenable in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah I am. Um, I actually um, had. I, I, I again in my day job. Um, because of this, this is why I'm so interested in this topic. Uh, is I do feel that this the the cycling revolution or you know the gear changes is kind of slipping um, away from us. So in our in my day job on behalf of the Bikers Best campaign, we actually wrote um, to the Prime Minister in support of you know the changes that um, have been made so far and the will that he has shown. But um, obviously, a couple of things have sort of become quite apparent in the in the last couple of weeks um, through some of Laura's work as well, um, that uh, Act of Travel England, um, this this body uh, that is, you know, uh, quite rightly sort of positioned as as game changing and and potentially uh, to solve a lot of problems that there is in active travel um, by being in a kind of inspectorate and making sure that standards are met and they become a uh, statutory consultee on planning applications to make sure active travel is catered for in those processes. So it's potentially uh, a big deal. And what's been frustrating is, you know, it's come to light that this may well take uh, a year at at best um, to, to set up. And I understand lots of the reasons why, because it needs to be done properly and it can't be abolished as a quango like, uh, cycling England was um, uh, a few years back, so it needs to be kind of enshrined in law, so that whatever the politics, it's there, and and that does take time. I can I can believe that, um, but the government also, you know, announced a rapid acceleration pro- um, department program out of the DFT, which is effectively to make to build roads quicker, uh, and that's already been launched. And I don't think it's the same thing by any means, but the optics of build you know, build back better and, and, um, sort of Grant Shapps has stood on top of a large six lane motorway sort of in a high risk jacket doing the typical transport secretary thing, um, saying, look at what we're building is great. But then active travel England, which is really going to be game changing for active travel could take quite a long time. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's one of the reasons, um, I, I wrote, um, to the prime minister, uh, to appeal to, um, I think him and Andrew Gilligan, because um, they're, I think they're coming at it from a slightly different pace and speed as potentially 
the Department for Transport, which is, you know, it's their day job and 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 there's a not a difference of opinion, but there's definitely a difference of pace. Um, so, so yeah, that's been frustrating. I don't know, Laura, do you, do you think that active, tra- do you think I'm overplaying the old active travel England thing? Cause it's it does, it, it worries me. Yeah. No, I don't think you are. Um, I think, well, my sense is that it's pivotal to the golden age of cycling, the whole gear change, um, document kind of everything that it says is kind of hinging on this one body being set up but everyone I spoke to I spoke to a few people who've been involved with cycling England and they you know you get a bit of a sense of how how long it takes to set things up and that was set up as a quango and it almost happened by accident and everyone was surprised when Philip Hammond, who was transport secretary at the time um, suddenly uh, axed it along with loads and loads of other quangos but and there's definitely a sense that it needs to be set up properly if it's going to have the teeth that it needs, if it's going to have the, you know, it's going to be resilient enough to withstand future governments um, who may come along and decide that they've got a different agenda and, you know, so that it stands as a test of time. And so having these conversations, it makes made me realise, you know, this, this kind of needs to be done properly. Um, and it's good that it's being done properly. But at the same time, you know, as you say, this um, transport accelerator has been set up very quickly uh, within a couple of months of it being announced. Um, there's a feeling in cycle campaigners that, or active travel campaigners, that if it if they wanted to set it up quickly, they could. There's like, you know, in the trans- Department of Transport or the governmental organizational diagram, the active travel element, you really have to kind of squint to look at it. It's like a tiny, tiny part. It's like 20 people working on this gigantic thing, which is going to be an inspectorate and it's going to be a statutory consultee to any major like infrastructure plans. And it's going to be advising local councils on how to build stuff. And this isn't, this isn't like easy stuff. It's quite complicated. So yeah, I think if they wanted to do it quickly, they could do it a lot more quickly. Um, but um, yeah, basically the whole thing is is hinging on this, um, on this. You know, the the statutory guidelines will only be guidelines; they're not going to be design standards, uh, unless there's a body to say this painted bike lane that you've built isn't going to help anyone. You need to do better or give the money back. Uh, you know that kind of thing. It's just going to be the same, the same as it was before. And I think um, you know there's a bit of a warning from the Active Travel Wales Act, because that was at the time seen as groundbreaking. There were these wonderful design standards put um, against it. And uh, basically councils in Wales had to keep year on year improving their cycling networks and planning to uh, expand them. And very little actually happened because they didn't have the money and nobody really understood what they were supposed to be doing. So, you know, if we're not to go down that path again, then Active Travel England really needs to, to step up. Yeah, quickly. Do you think there's a chance that, um, actually, funnily enough, riding to the studios the other day with Chris, um, I was talking to him because there are some, we, we basically, you can either go the quiet way through the country lanes and that's fine, um, you know, to the extent that it's fine to have a car coming at you at 65 kilometres an hour <laughs> around a blind mm. corner, but, you know, God, it takes a bit yeah. of getting used to for an urban cyclist anyway. Um, or you can just batter along the A20 if, like yesterday, oh uh, you hadn't read the roadbook of the Tour de France and you didn't realise the stage started at 11 o'clock and you were running late. Oh um, <laughs> so, but I was riding I was riding to work the other day along the quiet country lanes with Chris Boardman and we uh, then eventually hit the main road and picked up um, a series of, you know, classic classic roundabouts that uh, uh, have, you know, are just quite alarming, frankly, to, to ride around. Um, and Chris said, uh, Chris started to talk to me about the Cyclops roundabout that I think one, yeah. one has been opened in Manchester, I think. Yeah. But he told, yeah. but he told me that, um, and I can't remember what the number was. I wish I'd paid more attention. He told me that the planning was in place for 40 something within Greater yeah, Manchester. I, that's what I heard. Uh, yeah. Uh, presumably in, sh- in short, in short order, you know, within the next year. Um, yeah. or two. And do you think there's, um, do you think that's perhaps what is needed to have, if you like, a, quite a grand body of work built in that then can be used as an evidence base, you know, to a successful big chunk of infrastructure like that in Greater Manchester might just have a kind of kickstarting effect because it's something that you can point at and say, well, that's how you do it. And it's had that yeah. effect. And actually we can show you this yeah. much evidence about how it's get, how it's used, you know, and yeah. but until we've got that, it still feels a bit like, well, they've got the embankment segregated cycle lanes in London. And that's, <laughs> ba- that's about all we can say, you know? Um, so there just needs to be more in order f- yeah. f- for more to kind of like reach that critical mass point. That's uh, yeah, and yeah. maybe yeah, d- p- put a positive definitely. spin on the Cyclops might do that a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think definitely that there needs to be showcases and that's what they did in London with the Mini Hollands and that's what the part of the gear change plan is to have these demonstration towns, which which have been things for since Cycling England was around. They had cycling demonstration towns and cities where they concentrated funds because even, you know, they were aware that if you ha- if you can demonstrate it works in one area, then you can you can make a case for applying it and you can measure what's happened before and after. And yeah, I think these are definitely important because before we had decent infrastructure in the UK, it was always, oh, well, we're not the Netherlands. Um, stop stop saying that we are. And then when London started doing stuff, councils who may be reluctant or not really sure what to do, they'll say, well, we're not London. Um, but I think the more examples that you have of these, you know, the Manchester's, Bristol's done some, Leicester's done amazing stuff. Um, and yeah, the more of these that we have, the, the kind of, the more evidence that you get and the less easy it is to say, well, you know, we're not there. It it's becomes normal. Um, I think, I think it probably enables people in power to have more confidence to do these things. Um, the Cambridgeshire have, um, recently, uh, finished their first Dutch style roundabout, which is, um, uh, doesn't have any, how many traffic lights like the Cyclops Junction does and is more like a conventional roundabout, but, um, uh, it's not conventional in any respects because it's got a cycle lane all the way around it and um, pedestrian crossings and, and cyclist priority all the way yeah. round. It, it's like, and, a, it's uh, like it a Cyclops, was... but like reversed, isn't yeah. it? Like um, Brian Deegan, who's Chris Boardman's technical advisor, was calling one an innie and one an outie in that like one has a cycle lane on the Brilliant. inside of the track and one has it on the outside, which is quite a sweet term. Yeah. But... Um, and, uh, but, 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 um, a driver crashed into it and it was closed for uh, a couple of, a couple of days. And there was kind of a big, uh, 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 you know, a big kind of, there's certain stories, aren't there? That just kind of sort of, I told you so stories, uh, where, um, where the media just love it. So, so this story made it to like lad Bible and other things like, you know, Dutch style (laughs) roundabout. It's like, people can't have nice things. It's like Dutch style roundabout opens driver crashes into it on day one or, uh, or, or whatever. And, um, I think obviously that's, uh, that's an isolated incident and could be a total coincidence, but, um, certainly the more of these things we have, you know, out there, the less like this becomes a news story and it just becomes, well, they did it, they did it. Well, now it's our turn to do it. Yeah. The, the issue that, the issue that I think there is though, that, um, and this is something I also flagged and I think why active travel England is, is important is there in a lot of councils, I won't generalize with all councils, but in a lot of councils, there is not the technical expertise, um, uh, let alone the will, but even if there was will, like the actual technical expertise to create actually, you know, junctions and, um, you know, cycle lane design or, or, um, stuff that encourages and enables walking that actually works and isn't, you know, it isn't, doesn't cause another problem down the line that, that, that maybe uh, a neighborhood will kick off on or, or whatever. Obviously we need to not, we need to be data led with this and not just take, all feedback as, as, as equal because some people just won't like new stuff. Um, but we do need to kind of obviously consider the wider impacts. And if we don't have that good quality design, it's very hard to design stuff like that. And hopefully active travel England will provide extra resource and, and help the, uh, help the local councils kind of produce better stuff. But there is also a kind of, uh, an understanding, I believe from the, the treasury that, Really, they've given two billion pounds for cycling over the over five years or so, and actually, you know, I think there's a few naysayers uh, out and about in government that don't believe that people can spend two billion pounds. You know, it's all very well uh, like campaigners going, "We want more," and I'm that person. I'm always like, "We want more." Two billion pounds is not enough, but actually, there's an argument that local authorities don't have the skills at the moment to spend that level of money. Um, and you know, if you doubled it or tripled it, you would not get any better results. You would just find out with loads of schemes that maybe don't work how they how they should. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely a worry, um, but um, we're not going to know if they're going to have spent it by the next spending review. And I think there is some talk about, oh, well, let's see um, if we can spend it by then. But that's in what th- this month, later this month. Um, so, yeah, if we don't have more stuff for cycling now, then I don't know. Yeah, we're going to have to wait a year or two to see how it's if, it, if it's been spent, how it's been spent and then look at it again, which is part of the problem with active travel spending is that it's so stop start and uh, and not continuous. But 
um, yeah, hopefully Active Travel England, when it's set up, will do what it says and make it more continuous, the spending. And one of the things, Ned, that um, Chris has said in the past is that when they introduce, when they're introducing all this, uh, the B network around Greater Manchester, that one local authority or one neighbourhood will get these improved routes planned and then the next area will say, well, what about us? And that, you know, he reckoned that was, that was the kind of the most of the responses that they were getting, not why are you doing this or it's, you know, we don't like it. It's, you know, where's ours? Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. It's, yeah. I mean, I think that's, I, I, I think that's right. I just, um, I must know, I'm, I'm very frustrated at the sort of pace of change. We were so excited when we started this podcast yeah. series, weren't we, about the, you know, the, the, the possibilities opening up within weeks to, to, you know, and I've seen scant evidence of it actually. And, and the bits and pieces that you talk about there, the barriers that are kind of in the gutter of the side of the roads, there's some really, yeah. sh- there's some shoddy thinking, isn't there? And some half-baked, yeah. you know, it's, it's been... Yeah, it's just, yeah, councils just don't know what, you know, they've never done this in the past. And so when they're told to do something, they're, they're mm. just not really sure. I don't know, or, or they're just they're just not used to delivering this kind of stuff. So mm. I don't mm. know, I do feel a bit for I think- yeah, yeah oh, absolutely. I, I mean, it's a bandwidth thing, and it's not just at, at um, local yeah. local government level, is it? It's in it's in Whitehall as well. Um, I, actually, I was going to ask Laura in your in your experience. I mean, I couldn't name. I was really surprised when he said Philip Hammond had been the transport minister because um, I, I don't remember that. I remember him being the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Um, I, and yeah. I probably, if you before we started recording, I couldn't. 100% have told you that Grant Shapps was the transport secretary. Um, and I certainly couldn't <laughs> name, was Philip Hammond his predecessor? No. Um, no, Chris Grayling no, was. Chris Grayling, remember? Of course Chris old, Grayling was. Old, of course very, Chris Grayling. Very, very he con- he dored a cyclist. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but by and large, is it, I mean, is it a job that people, you know, for better or worse, right, um, it, it, beca- it did become apparent that Jeremy Hunt's um, was, and I mean for better or worse, kind of committed as a health secretary to his job. You know, um, he took decisions that were deeply unpopular, but but he seemed to be um, uh, gen- genuinely engaged in in the ministry. Um, and you know, from time to time, you really do get you do get ministers in high office who who seem you know, you know thoroughly in the right place and and like that like they are trying to do the best. Mm-hmm. Transport safety is transport. Does it feel like within the cabinet is it a stepping stone to something else, or are they um, sort of parked sideways there, or are they even on their way down, having held bigger offices? I mean, what's its status? I don't think it's a, a job that is does ha, that has particularly high prestige in in terms of government minister roles, unfortunately. Um, and even though you know we would argue it's super important, transport affects uh, you know everybody's lives in such a fundamental way. But really, it's not taken that seriously. Transport, you know, when you look at the funding across government, transport is quite a small portion of the spending mm. pot. And um, you know, Chris Grayling held the job for ages, and he was hardly the you know, he didn't, he didn't do a great job with, with anything that he'd done really in, in government. And, <laughs> um, I mean, but it's true. I mean, I don't want to be unkind, but, um, yeah. So it's, yeah, it doesn't have the kind of prestige that other, the other ministerial posts do. And I think there's quite a lot of, you know, there's quite a lot of ang- anger in there as well about transport. People get so viscerally, um, you know, they feel so viscerally about, about the roads and the trains and how they get around day to day. So yeah, I don't think it's a great job. <laughs> yeah. It's um, just, just below the transport secretary role as well. Obviously there mm-hmm. are, um, there are ministers and um, there's uh typically a minister position that, that has a responsibility for cycling and walking, but also uh, rail and uh, a few other things. And that's held by Chris Heaton-Harris, who uh, Laura just mentioned. Um, before then, uh, you know, it was a chap called Michael Ellis, um, who uh, Laura met, I remember interview, you saw an interview that you did at the mm. launch of Bike Week. Yeah, I saved him from being run over that- by an ice cream van. <laughs> ah, there you go. Did you really? There you go. What happened? Um, just that we were outside this um, outside this event, and this ice cream van was coming through, and I kind of just I'd kind of just moved him out of the way, basically, oh, midway through the interview. You hero, Laura. Well 
<laughs> Brilliant. But we, um, aside from that, actually, that ride was, without digressing too much, that ride was really interesting, actually, because, um, you know, it was about 100 people, cycling advocates and campaigners and people who work in active travel, who went for what was probably the worst bike ride you could ever do in London. We literally moved about a mile and a half in an hour. Um, and we were just stuck in traffic all the time. There was no infrastructure. Roads were closed. Lorries were blocking, like, the streets and stuff. And there was obviously, like, we shouldn't move away from it. There were a lot of us as well. Um, and uh, I remember sort of just coming back and going, this is what's wrong. <laughs> this is, this is it. Like this is this, you know, we've got the, tr- the secretary of state for uh, the minister, sorry, rather for, for, for cycling walking here and some other dignitaries. And, you know, this is just, and we probably not, everyone thinks this is fine, but probably we're just thinking, oh, okay. And this should not, you know, this is not a transport system anyway. Um, uh, aside from that, we have Michael Ellis who, who can't have, been in post more than sort of six months because it was very was, short was an hour yeah to, but before that we had jesse norman who was and jesse norman who was yeah great. he's, now he's now gone on to the treasury, treasury now so yeah he's yeah, he was kind of a rising yeah. star so, in politics um so yeah so i think um yeah. uh, uh it's hard to it's hard to kind of put a rule towards it but it's definitely if you're good you probably don't stay in the role for too long uh and if you're not very good you know, you might get the role. I don't know. But I tell you, that said, that said, um, I think, um, Grant, this is, you know, Grant Shapps is, um, is actually, you know, from what I've seen saying and arguably doing, um, the, the right things and the best things that have been done by somebody in his post. So I feel it's become, um, it's become different and he seems to have really taken on, his post. Um, and, and, you know, there was a, there was a time he was doing a lot of the weekend briefings, um, uh, him himself and kind of really owning transport, which is what he should be doing, but kind you know, of getting it up the agenda. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think he's, he's, he's on the face of it doing a, doing a decent, uh, job compared to predecessors. Yeah. You know what the next step is for him though, is, is coming on streets, uh, head podcast. So Yes. Oh no, we've lost Ned. We just, we just, we just lost, we just lost Ned. Uh, Ned's locked out. At this point, Ned's microphone has become dislodged, so his sound quality is not as good as it should be. Sorry. I was just saying. I think. I think the next step for him is coming on the streets ahead, Ned. I, I think that's the logical step in his in his career path. I think that's absolutely right. I'm sure he sees it in that way as well. Oh, he'd be very welcome, <laughs> wouldn't he? Um, well, it does strike me that you know everything you read about um, the, the the people who are pulling the strings at number ten. Um, I think you know who I mean. Uh, uh, it seems to me that kind of active travel doesn't really fit their agenda necessarily, and it probably it probably it, it probably sort of fits into the kind of um, uh, something that the metropolitan elite in London are kind of terribly excited about, but actually in the real world, you should all get out of London and find out what the real, you know, the real world is. It almost seems as if, um, the, I, I agree with you, Adam, the messaging from Grant Shapps uh, and, uh, has been okay, hasn't it? It's been okay. I wouldn't say it's been, you know, it's not been terrible. And, you know, I remember him, I remember him actually using the word cycling in a Downing Street press conference that I was terribly excited by because I don't think I'd ever <laughs> there before. Um, but it, it's almost, it almost feels as if um, the policies that are being, you know, the, the direction that they're, that they're trying to kind of strike out in is happening despite um, despite the culture that prevailed at number 10 and not because of it. It's almost like it's, um, because it's slightly piffling and irrelevant in their eyes, it doesn't really matter. Let, let, let them do their thing, you know? And I do, I do just worry about whether, how far up the genuine sort of desire to back these initiatives goes or whether at the moment it's just, it, it, it's just a little straw fire that might, might burn out. And I, and I certainly don't know whether the opposition party is any more committed. This isn't a party political mm-hmm. point. It's more of a cultural one within within mm. white. Yeah, I think um, like I think what we've said before is is correct and is accurate in that that um, the the cycling revolution uh, comes you know direct from from Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, and, and his advisor uh, Andrew Gilligan. How how much the Prime Minister can get you know involved um, uh, in terms of just from a practical point of view, but also you know 
you know, I, I, I think, well, it would be nice if the Prime Minister said, oh, you know, reassured local authorities they should be doing the right thing. But then, you know, like I live in a bubble, right? And and the narrative today is about whether there's going to be an Irish backstop or not, like pretty, you know, pretty essential um, things to the future of this this country. Um, uh, so so I think um, I think there is the will there. What Where I think there's a gap is um, it's very hard as an organisation, as a government organisation, say the Department for Transport, to uh, any organisation, I'd say, uh, to scale at the level um, that they've been asked to. And I think that's really challenging. And actually, I think there's some really good uh, people there and they've been doing really well, but there's only, you know, there's only 20 of them. And that's up from, I think, five or 10 years ago when there was only about three people working on um, uh, on, on cycling. So um, there's definitely a progression. But what I found fascinating, and maybe it's me learning how politics works, but um, the, 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 the lack of control or, uh, you know, um, allegiance there is, uh, between the, the ruling party of the leadership, the conservative party and conservative councils, for example, or even, you know, any, any political, um, party, they've not, it's not coordinated in any sense, you know, local politics is so different to the big picture of national politics. Um, and there is this kind of, belief and and you know from from the national party that you know local issues for local people you know and i'm not we're not going to get involved in it um and equally you know i think local people you know know best and in many respects they do but i think it needs to be much more coordinated than it is currently or we should just be honest and say we're not going to have a cycling revolution we're going to give the money to people that want it, we're going to give it to Manchester, we're going to give it to Leicester, you know, we're going to give it to Birmingham potentially. Um, and we're going to show what can be done there for society with £2 billion rather than trying to get Rygate to install cycle lanes against the will of everybody uh, in that in that area, except for people who want to ride a bike. Um, so so there is a massive disconnect and that's, um, that's, that's frustrating as, a, as you know, it's a big topic. Mm, yeah, I guess the stick they have is the other planning um, applications slash funding applications that um, councils are going to be putting in. That they have to, you know, the, if Active Travel England, whenever it comes about, they are going to have to include cycling elements in plans, or they or they won't get the the money for for funding. So. Um, yeah, and he, you know, he, as we, as we say, Grant Chaps has said some good stuff, and he his the decarbonisation of transport plans. The document there says that you know we need to use our cars less, which I don't think government has really said before. Um, and he does say that you know millions of people have benefited from measures to reduce rat running and um, make cycling and walking easier. So you know, despite noisy opposition, he says uh, they're hugely popular with the silent majority. So. I don't know, but yeah, it is like you say, Ned. It is frustrating because we we kind of need this to happen now, um, and and it does seem to be sort of stuck in the mud a little bit of administ administrative kind of difficulties. Yes, uh, yes. Adam, what's um what's happening with the bike is best campaign that you roped me into actually? You know, I played I played a very very small cameo role. <laughs> appeared for, I appeared for about one second riding up the cycle path at horse guards parade and that that was a, that was a starring role really but <laughs> no what's happened yes. to that? because because you've invested a lot of time and money and effort into that and um is mm. it, is it yeah where, where are we at with that so we're, we're it was always going to be a three-month campaign and you know it was it was it was fixed and, and set up very very quickly um we're coming to that three months uh now actually um but we're 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 we've got another billboard um campaign going and out of home across the country. Unfortunately, Ned, you won't be starring um, oh, in, 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 in this one. Um, <laughs> but we, we're actually going to run a series of posters of um, people riding bikes you know, doing normal things, wearing normal things and, and kind of, we've got a great picture of a, uh, an NHS nurse, um, you know, someone who runs a fish and chip shop, who's, you know, the bike saved their business during, during lockdown from doing takeaway deliveries and things okay. like that. So really kind of like showing that, that cycling is not just about people in, in Lycra. Um, and then we're, you know, at the moment, right in the middle of, um, seeing what the, future is really because we we I feel like we're at the start of something definitely not at the end of something so um I think there's a gap in um the successful marketing of cycling yeah. um I think we've always been focused on 
um, driving kind of existing people to buy more stuff and actually not shaping how we view cycling in this country. Mm. So I quite fancy that as a, as a challenge and it's, yeah, it's thanks to the industry funders that have supported it and, and, um, you know, hopefully they'll see the, see the opportunity to maybe continue this going on a, uh, on a longer term, um, uh, longer term basis. But, yeah. um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for asking. It's been, yeah, it's been, been loads of, um, loads of fun, but also quite stressful, um, as, as, as everything at this, this, this time of time of, uh, the, 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 the year because of what we've been through. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's going good. I'd like to, um, I'd like to suggest that if the campaign endures and you go through various different phases and, you know, um, uh, and it lasts for a little bit longer that you, you contemplate, I don't know if it's something you discussed, you, making some videos, uh, which, you know, some short little kind of internet stuff that can go viral and get spread and shared in which people exclusively, uh, sat behind the wheel of cars, talk about their, uh, their love for cycling and how they use cycling. <laughs> Interesting. You know, I think, yeah, that'd be, that's I think definitely, that'd be really powerful. Yeah. It's a bit like sometimes online when you get into, you know, we, we've all we've all been there and done that, haven't we? When you get into kind of like heated debates, at little flashpoints when they occur, and sometimes you'll get a you'll get a tweet from um, a truck driver who is fully supportive of cyclists. Uh, it's rare, mm. but it happens for now and again. And it's every every time that happens, that's worth a hundred cyclists kind of advocating you know cycling isn't it it always fills yeah. me with, fills me with immense gratitude and i think it's a very powerful message um and i, and I wonder whether there's something that you could do uh, along those lines it'd be a bit more mm. like a bit more surprising make people think a little bit more and um you know break break outside the box a bit i don't know yeah, I like that. Um, there's definitely something interesting in that in that topic of kind of subversion. I I spoke to an advertising agency probably ten years ago now, but they they really liked the idea of um, kind of having it was too it was very sporting focused at the time, but um, that's where we were as a nation. They wanted you know they wanted to get Chris Hoy or Bradley Wiggins kind of riding around and 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 effectively you know give cyclists space because you know every person on a bike is doing something, you know, interesting and amazing, whether they're going to a hospital or whether they're going to work to teach or whether they're an Olympic medalist, you need to teach them, you know, treat them with, um, uh, with, with respect and, and not just see them as all a kind of dehumanized group, uh, uh, effectively. So yeah, that's, um, that's really, yeah, really, really interesting. Um, just to, just to, just to finish up, I should, um, just because we've been talking about it and, um, it's, uh, relevant. Um, I did get a letter yesterday from, um, Chris Heaton Harris, uh, who we, who we mentioned, um, following the letter that I sent, um, to the, to the, to the prime minister. Um, I won't go, I won't read it all, but generally, you know, thank you. Thank you for the research that we did with Bikers Best that we talked about showing that there is gen, genuine support um, and has been mentioned in their briefing notes. Um, they agree that it's important we make rapid progress establishing uh, Active Travel England. The department is committed to doing this. Equally, given the hugely important role that Active Travel England will play in delivering this agenda, we need to ensure that we get it right. The work will be led by a new cycling and walking commissioner to be appointed over the coming months. Further announcements on the role of the commissioner will be made in the autumn and the department will continue with cycling and other organization uh, organizations as it develops its proposal yours sincerely chris heaton harris mp that um, that, that yeah. role of cycling walking commissioner sounds like um, a perfect step up from the uh, cycling mayor of coventry i Sounds like the, the natural oh, it's, career a, it's, a, it's a natural step. I'd be, I'd, I'd honestly be worried. I wouldn't have enough time for this podcast, um, and uh, that's uh, that, that's where my heart is. Um, <laughs> um, cool. Well, it was really, really interesting to chat about um, uh, chat about the latest. I do feel slightly better about everything, having talked about it and and talked about the positive things in context. But um, uh, we, you know, I think it's probably fair to say that the uh, cycling revolution is probably in 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 jeopardy um and hopefully we've made a bit clearer as to as to why and what's 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 going on yeah nice to finish on a positive and imagery is so important like we said so you've been listening to streets ahead let us know what you think we are at pod streets ahead if you know other people who would like this podcast then please do share it with them it really helps and finally, wherever you're listening, please rate and review the podcast. It means more people find us. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.